Here's what we're going to do today. <laughs> we're going to change the pace a little bit. So if you've been hanging around with us this fall, you will know that we have just finished going through the book of Daniel. We went through the whole book. We took the whole fall to do it. Uh, it was really, really good for our church. Awesome, fantastic book. God did lots of stuff through it. But Daniel, and I don't mean this as an insult or anything bad at all, Daniel is sort of like the sermon equivalent of going over the edge of the waterfall, and now you're going down, and it's a white-knuckle ride, and it's intense, and it's wild, and you're bumping and banging into stuff the whole way down. That was Daniel. That's been us the last 12 weeks. Now, we are at the bottom of the waterfall. You made it. Congratulations. And if you, yes, and if you know anything about waterfalls, which I hope that you would, you know that there's, you know, a bottom at to it. And at the bottom of the waterfall, there's usually a nice pool, right? And it's calm and serene, and it's a nice place to swim, and the water's peaceful. That's where we are today. Just a change of pace. Now, that does not mean that we're going to be talking about fluff for the next few weeks. Okay, I'll remind you, at a waterfall, the pool at the bottom of the waterfall is usually pretty deep, actually. So we're not afraid to go a little deep in the next few weeks, but it's going to be very simple. Somebody say simple. simple. We're talking about a simple Christmas. Now, if you've been in the church long enough, you may have experienced this temptation this tendency to want to sort of take the Christmas story and the Christmas message a little bit for granted. Yeah, if we're just being honest, okay? I've been in the church my whole life, so I've heard the Christmas story however many times it's been, and not because there's something wrong with the Christmas story, but because there's something wrong sometimes with my heart, sometimes we get a little numb to it. We just kind of say, oh yeah, Jesus, yeah, baby in a manger, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, that's not the Christmas story at all. It's not, yeah, 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 yeah. It's a super good story. It's the best story that's ever been told. Furthermore, there's a temptation amongst people in my profession to try to uh, dress up the Christmas story a little bit. They say, I preach on this every year. We hear it every year. How am I going to like come at the Christmas story from an angle that we've never seen or heard before? I'm not going to try doing that. Just being honest. Simple. Because the power is in the story. The power is in the word. And it's an amazing, 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 amazing story. Have I sold it well enough so far? Okay. Okay. Somebody said no. That's what the next half hour is for. Okay. Grab your Bible. Turn it to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Again, today we're only going to be going through like 11 verses of scripture. Really only hitting on two of them in particular. It says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration, your Bible might say census, they're being counted, when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called what? Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. You had to go back where your ancestors were from in order to be counted for the census. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, that basically means they were engaged, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger 
because there was no place for them in the inn. By the way, until I had a kid of my own, I didn't, this is embarrassing, I actually didn't know really what swaddling cloths were. I know what they are now. Thank you. I trust you're laughing with me and not at me. Okay. They laid him in a manger because there was no place for him in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And here's really what we're getting to, the couple of verses we really want to hit on the next few weeks. It says, The angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Let it just be known. I'm going to just make a declaration today. There is good news in the world. We, you know, if you watch the news on TV or, or on the internet, it's mostly only bad news. And it's a picture of how things are getting worse and worse and worse. And it's depressing and it's discouraging. And we might be tempted to think, what good is there under the sun? Let it be known and let the church be known for this. There is such thing as good news. And we're going to unpack it today. Now, the Christmas story, what it says right here, the Christmas story is good news. Unto you this day is born a Savior. It's good news. The question I want to answer today is, well, why is it good news? Why is this news of Christmas so good? And I want to say this. If we're going to understand the Christmas story and why it's good news, we need to understand that this Christmas stuff is a piece of a greater story. See, that's the mistake that some people make is the Christmas story, they kind of make it a silo unto itself. Uh, You know, maybe people that, I'm not making fun, people that like come to church only on Christmas and Easter, for instance. Oh, well, there, I went to church on Christmas. I relived the whole God thing because I went to church at Christmas. Well, it's more than that. It's much more than that. If we're going to understand Christmas, we got to understand the whole story, not because there is anything lacking or wrong with the Christmas part of the story, but it's one piece of the puzzle. And the whole puzzle is good news. And by the way, it's called the gospel. The gospel is the good news. The word gospel actually means good news. So let's unpack that. If we're going to understand the Christmas story, which is part of the gospel story, which is good news, we need to understand a bunch of things. I'm going to just unpack the gospel for you this morning. Does that sound okay? It's a simple Christmas. That's what we're going to be doing. So if we're going to understand the Christmas story, the gospel story, we need to know, number one, that there is a God. There's one God by whom and for whom all things exist. That's where it begins. It doesn't begin with the baby in the manger. It begins right there. You need to know today that in the beginning, God, who has always existed, he's always been around from eternity past, he created the heavens and the earth. Guess what that includes? You. That includes you. Not that you've been around since way back then, but no, I won't say anything else. Never mind. I'm not going to say it. You can't make me. You can't bait me into it. God created us, human beings, as part of his creation. That means, listen here, you are not an accident. Some of you may have literally been told that in your life. You're just a mistake. You're this, you're that. No, you're not. God made you. God wants you here. God has a life for you and a reason for you to be here. And you were made and created to exist and operate in the context of a relationship with God. Somebody say relationship. Relationship. 
We talk about this all the time here at our church. God is a relational God. He wants to walk with us and us with him. The, the, the way it was always supposed to be is that we would be close to God. And if you think, well, I don't know, this relationship with God, who invisible man in the sky, who, who, listen, this relationship with the God, it's as real as any relationship you'd have with any human being. It's even more real. It's even greater. It's even better. That's what we were supposed to exist in the context of. So it's not the spiritual sock drawer. It's not, I have my spiritual God life here, and then I got my work life, and my home life, and my hobbies, and whatever. No, all of life is supposed to revolve around God and closeness to God and that everything that happens in life to us, around us, in us, and through us is supposed to happen in that context of we're with and we're close to God. That's how it's supposed to be. You with me so far? Okay. The second thing is this. If you're going to understand the Christmas story, the gospel story, you need to know that every single one of us, we have separated ourselves from God by our sin. Like, we need to recount that and consider that. It's not that we're so good and God, you know, owes it to us to, to do anything for us. No, we've sinned. That's what the Bible says. Romans 3.23 says that all have fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. So God is perfect. God is holy. God is blameless and without blemish. And he has a certain standard right? It's the oil and water thing. Darkness can't go with light, right? Sin can't go with God. It doesn't compute, right? And so when we have sinned, that means we've broken God's law. That means we've violated his character. That means we've broken trust with him. That means we've seated ourselves on the throne of our hearts instead of him. We've all done it. Get in line. It starts right here behind this guy, right? We've all sinned. And in so doing, we're separated from God. We can't any longer just waltz into his presence and say, here I am, Lord, you owe me a relationship. No, you, you broke the law. And when you do the crime, you do the time. That's how it works. God is a God of justice. God doesn't sweep things under the rug or overlook or, ooh, I'll just turn a blind eye to what you just did, Braden. No, sin is offensive to God. Sin is horrible to God, and it breaks trust with God. And if that doesn't sound that tragic to you, again, I'll remind you, we were supposed to be like this with God, relationship, but our sin does this. And to compound the matter, it's not just, oh, well, I'll live a really good life without God. No, the Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. So when you break God's law, which we've all done, you receive a death sentence. Not only do you live this life apart from God, apart from that relationship that you were supposed to be in, that in and of itself is tragic enough because Jesus even said that the essence of eternal true life is knowing God, right? Even if it was only pertaining to this life that we didn't know God, that's tragic enough. But the wages of sin is death, which means that when this life is over, we're gonna be judged. We've talked about that this fall. We're gonna be judged and left to pay for our sin on our own. And none of us, can do anything to repay that debt for sin that we owe God. The wages of sin is death. Well, I'll just work really hard and I'll erase that debt. No, you won't. I'll just try really hard. I'll just be religious enough. I'll just go to church enough. That's not going to cut it. Those are all good things. Well, religion's not a very good thing, but that's another sermon for another day. Not even going to go there. You owe a debt to God. Right? If you don't belong to Jesus, that is the, 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 the position that you occupy this morning. You have a debt outstanding with God. 
I wonder, other than your sin, anyone like ever had a debt that you couldn't pay before? You know how that feels, right? A light example from my past wasn't anything major or crippling, but one time I was like 15 or 16, a bunch of us went out to eat at this really fancy establishment called the Pizza Barn in Keswick, New Brunswick. It's like a hole in the wall, right? <laughs> it's true. And we ate at the Pizza Barn, and I was like just getting used to like having a debit card and a wallet. Like I never had any money before, so I didn't even carry a wallet till you know, pretty recently before that. And we went to the pizza bar and we ate our meal and I realized at the end of the meal, like the end, I'd eaten everything. And the lady's asking how the bill is gonna be divided up and I reach into my pocket and there's no wallet there. Not one cent. I didn't have much more than that in my wallet, but I at least like had a little, I could have at least paid for my meal. So I said, oh my land, what am I gonna do? They're gonna like throw me in jail. And the funny thing, this place was next to the police station. I'm like, it wouldn't even be hard for them to do, right? Yeah, exactly. So I'm panicking. What am I supposed to do? They're going to think I'm trying to dine and dash. So everyone's waiting in line to pay. And I was so embarrassed. The youth leader there, we were there like with the youth group. I tapped him on the shoulder. I said, um, can you pay for me? <laughs> what? I don't have my wallet. Can you pay me? I can't hear you. I said, I don't have my wallet. I can't pay. Can you pay for me? And I'll spot you back later. Yeah, okay, no problem. And he paid my debt for me. It was probably $10. It wasn't a big debt. But again, if you've been in that place, you know the feeling. Oh, I literally have no means to pay this back. Well, in a much greater sense, that's where we all are with God. Right? You have no means in and of yourself to pay back that debt that you owe to him. So without intervention, if nothing is done, no matter how much effort we put in and how much we try to clean our hands from the sins that we've committed, this is the track that we're on. It's a death sentence. The wages of sin is death. Hell is real. Punishment is real. Condemnation is real. And that's the track that we're all on in and of ourselves. You know what that means? We don't have a moral high ground to stand on above other people. We don't have a soapbox to get up onto and say, I'm holier than thou, right? I've cleaned myself up. No, you didn't. None of us can. None of us are righteous in and of ourselves. And again, if you say, that sounds really unfair, why would God do that to me? Oh, it's completely fair, right? The, the, you did the crime. You should have the punishment. God, listen to me, God owes you nothing, nothing. Well, I'm really awesome. You're not that awesome. I think you're pretty awesome, but you're not that awesome. How encouraging. Welcome to church. We've all sinned. Now, yeah, the offending happens for free around here, just saying. <laughs> Number three is this. That's bad news so far, but this is supposed to be good news. Number three, if we're going to understand the Christmas story, the gospel story, we need to understand that God's solution for our sin problem, not his sin problem, he doesn't have any sin, it's our problem, but he makes a solution for us, and the solution is his son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what it says in John 3, 16. Now this right here, this point right here, this is kind of where most of the emphasis is around Christmas time. The coming of Jesus. Jesus stepped off his throne. God himself entered into our history in the form of a man and he came for us. 
This is what we talk about at Christmas. So why is that good news? Jesus coming for us? Well, number one, I got three points about this third point. How's that for confusing? Number one is this. The reason that this is good news, that God has a solution for our sin, it's this. God came to us. In Jesus Christ, God came to us. Look at verse 11 here up on this screen. It says, unto you, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So, it's Christ the Lord. This is not some mere baby. This is not just anybody. This is God himself entering into our history to clean up whose problem? Ours. Wow. Wow. For all of the huge problems that exist in the world, this is the beginning of the solution. Wars, fighting, disease, death, wickedness, hurt that we cause to one another, there actually is one source of healing for all of that, and it's that right there. It's God showing up and intervening. That is what we need in the world. That's where it begins. Again, we cannot do enough to get to God, right? We were supposed to have this with God, the relationship. We, because of our sin, we can't do enough to get there. This is where other religions get it wrong, by the way, while we're on the subject. A lot of other religions teach, well, if you just do X, Y, Z, and you try really hard, and you be really religious, you can get to God. You can ascend to the level of God. You can become like a God yourself. No. There's nothing that you can do to get back with God. And God knows that, so he comes to us instead. Is that good news today? The second reason that this here is good news, God didn't just come to us, God came to save us, right? Unto you is born this day a savior. So God doesn't show up to put the boot down onto us, which is what we deserve. He shows up to save us, not to wreck us. The wages of sin is death, but Jesus came to settle that debt, to pay that wage, to die that death for us. Wow. This is his mercy on display right here. Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. We deserve death, and because of Jesus, we don't have to get it. We also see the grace of God in the coming of Jesus. The grace is when you get something you don't deserve. So not only do we not get the bad, we get the good. This is what God does for us in the coming of Christ. He doesn't just pay our debt and say, now never speak to me again. No, we get a whole bunch of other good things too, which we'll talk about. This is God, this is good news because he came to save us. And the third thing is this, the reason this is good news is God came to identify with us. I wanna just point out something to you. Jesus didn't come in his first coming with the royal splendor. Oh, we sang about that. That was cool. He could have just marched in, you know, with the pomp and circumstance and made a big deal about himself. But look at this. He was wrapped in swaddling cloths and they laid him in a manger. You know what a manger is? It's what the animals eat out of because there was no place for them in the inn. They couldn't even get, they couldn't even get a room at the Super 8. They, they couldn't even get a room at the Roach Motel here. And this is how God wanted to enter into our history? Yes, it is. Because if he had come with the pomp and circumstance, let's be real honest. Some of us would look at him and go, that's not my scene. I don't measure up to that. No, but actually the Bible says that Jesus became like us in every way, except that he had no sin. 
He comes to identify with us. He comes in humility. And by the way, if humility is not really your speed and you're more the lofty, I feel really awesome about myself, you could learn something from the Christmas story. If this is how Jesus comes, like I wonder, what's our heart supposed to be like? Are we supposed to get up on the soapbox or are we supposed to humble ourselves like Jesus humbled himself? He came in a lowly way and he identified with us. He became like us. Jesus came to us. Number four, if we want to understand the Christmas story, the gospel story, you need to understand that Jesus died on a cross to pay for our sin and he rose from the grave victorious over death. This is like the nerve center of the gospel right here. The wages of sin is death. Death has to happen for sin to be dealt with. So rather than us dying, Jesus dies in our place on a cross. You say, he didn't deserve it. Yes, you're catching on. He didn't deserve it. Our sin died for our debt in your place. Why would he do that? Because he loves you. I don't deserve it. No, you don't. Mercy and grace, baby, right here. Jesus on the cross. See, he lived without sin perfect sinless life that you and I have failed to live and his sacrifice that he made on the cross the Bible even says without the shedding of blood there's no forgiveness of sin his blood was shed to make payment for your sin and you know what the great thing is about it it was sufficient Jesus through his one death his one sacrifice he said it is finished your sin might be great It might be a big pile that reaches up to high heaven. But guess what? The blood of Jesus is bigger than that. Yes, even you. Yes, even the wicked things you've done. Yes, even all of the the muck that is in your heart. Jesus' blood speaks a better word. It's bigger. It's greater. And not only that, I mean, look, this is just like a one-liner up here. This is like, I could stand up here all day and talk about this. Jesus didn't just die. He rose. He rose from the grave. See, if Jesus had just died and didn't rise, well, then death has the final word. There, we put him down. End of story. Death wins. Sin wins. Satan wins. No, but Jesus rose. So he has the final word. He could not be contained in the grave. He rose in victory. And that is where our hope comes from. It's because Jesus lives and is greater than sin. So too can we rise above it through him. That's good news. Please praise him today. Thank you. You see, death is our greatest enemy, right? You might have a lot of things that you wrestle against in this world, but death is our greatest enemy. It comes for us all. But Jesus beat it because he's better, because he's awesome. This This is part of the Christmas story that nobody ever talks about at Christmas. But there it is. Jesus died for you and he rose victoriously, which brings us to the next bit right here. We can be saved by believing in what Jesus has done and repenting of our sin and surrendering to him. So again, we have a sin problem. Jesus takes care of that, but now it's required for us to respond to what he's done. First, you need to believe in what he's done. Right? That's faith, belief, it's action, it leads to something, it's a verb. And when you put your faith in Jesus, when you believe that he is your Lord and Savior, when you believe that he died on the cross and rose in victory, the Bible says that everyone who believes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know what that means? Your sin that clings so closely to you, your sin that prevents you from having that relationship with God, when you put your faith in Jesus 
You're set free from that. You're forgiven from that. It's wiped clean off the record, not even a post-it note on your record. It's gone. As far as the east is from the west, your sin is removed from you when you put your faith in Jesus. That's pretty cool, right? This here, again, I stress, does not happen through religious activity. It's not because you came to church, but I'm glad you're here. It's not because, you know, you gave five bucks to the guy at the traffic light on your way by. That's great. Let's do that. Let's help people. It's not about the good things that you do. The Bible says clearly that we are saved by grace through faith. That's where it begins. So if you are trying to make yourself right with God and be okay with God through some other route, just know it's a dead end. It doesn't work. It's faith. And faith is going to lead you to other stuff like what it says here, repenting. Repent means to turn around, to turn away. I'm living this way, doing my own thing, but I'm leaving that aside. I'm laying it down, and I'm going to walk away from it, and I'm going to walk with Jesus now. That's what repenting is. Now, that doesn't mean that you're instantaneously going to be perfect as soon as you put your faith in Jesus. You're going to have some stuff to walk through, but it's that, it's that act of, you know what? I'm laying it down. I'm dying to myself. I'm not God. I don't sit on the throne. I want to follow Jesus by the way, repenting is an ongoing thing. It doesn't just happen at your salvation. The Bible says to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Christians, are we repenting lately? When's the last time you repented of something? Don't answer out loud. This isn't confession time. But that's a part of it. You've got to repent of your sin. And then, of course, surrendering to Jesus. That's to say, again, Lord, you take the wheel. I could have just made a really cheesy Jesus take the wheel thing, but I just barely missed that one. Oh, man. Yeah, I'm not singing that. We're not having it today. It's not happening. See, when you surrender, when you give yourself completely to God, that's what's called for here. And all of these parts that are up here are necessary, by the way. If you're going to be saved, like, you got to believe first. Right? If you don't believe, obviously, you're not going to go anywhere else. Nothing else is going to happen. That's where it begins. But, but we need to see that repentance in there as well. Because if all you do is believe... Well, then it's just a, a mental activity for you. It's just something that you, information that you have in your head that's not going to lead to anything. I'll, I'll remind you, the Bible says that even the demons believe all this stuff. And they shudder. And I always say, we want to do a little bit better than the demons in here. You know what I'm saying? Like, like a little bit. Just like a lot better. So if you, if you just believe, that's not enough. If you don't repent, what that's showing is that you don't really think your sin is that big of an issue. Even though Jesus died for it because it's horribly offensive to God and it's preventing you from living the life you're supposed to live and it's literally going to cause you to result in hell, you say, no, it's not that big an issue. No, the repentance needs to be there. And also, if you don't surrender through that as well, see, because I've met people who believe and they've even made an attempt at repentance. I'm going to like lay my stuff down, but sort of like just keep my finger wrapped around it a little bit like this, and I'm going to try to just drag it with me without God noticing, right? That doesn't, yeah, he notices. It doesn't work. If you don't surrender, what you're still saying is, I still want to be God, and I still want to do things my way. That's not how this works, buddy. Not at all. We need all of these working in tandem, but the good news is that you can be saved from your sins, you don't have to walk in darkness. You don't have to walk apart from God. You don't have to walk in condemnation and shame. I'll remind you, the Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Your past, your sin, your record can all be left in the past in Jesus Christ. That's why the gospel story, the Christmas story is good news. Two more to go. Number six is this. 
The good news is that once we're saved, we can then live the life God created us to live. Right? He, the Bible talks about God reconciling us to himself. That means we're brought back to where we're supposed to be. You were supposed to be like this. So I just, I can't emphasize this enough. I've seen this, people struggle to get this over the years. Some people think, oh, all I gotta do is just like believe and, and repent and maybe I'll get baptized and all this stuff and then I'm good to just go and live the life I wanna live. No, like no. God has a life for you and it's that life where he's supposed to be at the center where you're supposed to have that relationship with him and only when you're saved can you start living that. So some people look at their salvation like a finish line and I say, actually, it's more of a starting line. Now that you're saved, now that you believe in and belong to Jesus, you can start living the life. However many days, months, years you have left on this earth, you can actually live them how you're supposed to be living them and and with whom you're supposed to be living them. That's the point of this. Now, when we get saved, remember I talked earlier, we get a whole bunch of good stuff too. The Bible talks about when when we come to Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. You ever heard of that? The Holy Spirit, this is the presence and the power of God. The Bible says he literally comes to dwell in us. You say, that sounds weird. No, the right word is supernatural, actually. That's what happens. If you're a Christian, if you belong to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. And God, through his Spirit, is always with you and always leading and guiding and speaking. If we would listen to him, that is. That's a whole other story for another day as well. But the point is this, you're never alone. There's this epidemic of loneliness in the world, and I'm saying if only people knew Jesus and had his Holy Spirit living in them, there would be no more loneliness, right? And also the part B of that is we in the church, we gotta get really good at being in relationship with each other too. Again, not the point of the sermon, sidebarring. But when you have the Holy Spirit, when you have God literally dwelling in you and with you and through you, you can walk through every day of your life if you will yield and submit and surrender to him and bear fruit in keeping with repentance, you can actually, honestly, truthfully live the life that God created you to live. You don't have to waste your life. You can use it in the best way possible, which is this, close to God. And again, everything else that you do in your life, everything else that happens in your life happens from that place of, I'm with Jesus and he's with me. The Bible says that is eternal life. It's knowing God. And I wonder, don't answer this out loud today. Do you know the Lord today? I I, I don't want you to just know about him. I want you to know him, have a relationship, a close, personal, intimate relationship with the God who created you. That is life. That is good news right there. I'm just saying, he agrees with me. Finally, If we're going to understand the Christmas story, the gospel story, we need to understand that everyone who belongs to Jesus also receives the promise of eternal life with him after this life. So yes, when you come to Christ and you're filled with his spirit, he's going to change you in the here and now. Your life is going to be different in the here and now. Spoiler alert, it's not going to be perfect. Bad things are still going to happen to you. But your life will be totally and fundamentally changed because of the presence of God in it, because your sin has been wiped off the ledger. God is gonna work in you and change you and stretch you and grow you and all of these things. It's a journey all the rest of our life, but it doesn't just end with this life. The Bible actually says, if as Christians we only have hope in this world, we're of people most to be pitied. It literally says that, 1 Corinthians 15. Because this world is not that good of a place. 
You don't need me to tell you that, probably. Shocker. Spoiler alert. We still go through hardships. We still go through trials. We still go through periods and patterns of difficulty. And that's going to happen until this life is over, friend. We're going to encounter trials of various kinds. But the best news at the end of all of this is that you're actually going to go, the Bible says, to a new place. The new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. The Bible says that when Jesus comes back, because he's coming back, when Jesus comes back and he ushers in this new era, the new heavens, the new earth, he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes. He's going to make all things new, all things right, all things well. And guess how long that lasts? Forever. Forever. See, even if things are really good in your life right now, this is not supposed to be morbid and, and discouraging, right? They're not going to last forever. You're going to come into a stretch of difficulty sooner or later. But in that day, it's going to be forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And did I mention forever and ever in there? I think it's forever. But it's not just, it's not just that the bad things are going to stop. Like, let me just stress this. In our eternal life, we are going to be face-to-face with Jesus, our Savior. Like right now, we walk by faith and not by sight. And we hear his voice and we know he's real and he's, he's closer than, he, he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. But in that day, we are gonna see him and we are gonna know him even as we are known, face to face. I said this last week, I'm not necessarily in a hurry for that day because I have a lot to live for here and I, and I have a relationship with God here. But what a day that's going to be. When we see Jesus face to face and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the kingdom that I have prepared for you. Like, hello, hello. We need to live now with the end in mind because if you're a Christian, that day is coming for you, right? And that is again where our hope comes from. This life is not all there is. Eternal life with Jesus awaits us. That is good news. And that's the Christmas story. You say, we didn't talk about Christmas very much. Oh, yes, we did. Yes, we did. This is the gospel. This is the best news in the world. This is, again, when the world will try to send the message to you that there is no good news and everything's dark and everything's bad and everything's chaotic and it's miserable. We reject that. There is good news, and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus, okay, yes. Yes. And I'll say to you as we close, in Jesus Christ, through this gospel message, you have already been given the greatest gift you could ever receive, you could ever get, you could ever do anything with. The question is this, though. Have you received that gift today? If you are not a Christian, I want to stress to you, it requires a conscious decision. You don't just come into this by osmosis or squatter's rights or whatever. You have to decide, okay, you know what? I'm going to put my faith and my trust and my confidence in Jesus, and I'm going to repent of my sin, and I'm going to surrender to him. That's where it begins for you. He died for you. He loves you. He paid your debt on the cross. Let him pick up your tab and then come into that relationship that he designed you to be in and to live in and receive the promise of eternal life that will last far beyond the life that you live now on this earth. If you're not a Christian, you need to do something about that, friend, is what I'm saying. Those of us in the room who are Christians, that would be most of us, 
This is a time of year for us to celebrate the good news. Yes, you've accepted it. Yes, this is your reality now. But let's not get numb to the message of the gospel. It is good news of great joy for all the people. Let's give him some thanks, please.